0: What is good guys, your host, Michael Sucond here, and you are listening to Our Future, the business podcast for young people. Hit that subscribe button and also toss us your email to get a weekly newsletter summarizing some of the most exciting conversations we have on this podcast with the visionary business leaders that are shaping our future. Click that link in the description. As an up-and-coming voice in business media, you can imagine how excited I am to introduce my next guest, Jill Schlesinger. Jill is an award-winning business analyst for CBS News. She is a complete tour de force in business media, especially when the conversation is focused on money, markets, and personal finance. She also hosts the Jill on Money podcast. It's also a radio show. And it won the Gracie Award for Best National Talk Show in 2018. Pretty wild. Jill's all over the TV. She's on the radio. She's on the news. She's killing the game, and now she's joining us on the pod. Hope you guys enjoy. When you were my age, did you have any inkling that business media and journalism might be in your future? Any idea of that?
1: Um, no, not really. When I was in college, I did intern at a um, at a local. NBC affiliate actually was an O and O in Providence, Rhode Island. But my my real career path was likely to be more in the general finance direction rather than in the media. I kind of you know I I I liked interning. I liked I liked the media, but I I didn't necessarily think that it was going to be my long term career aspiration.
0: And and what came first, that passion for Finance or being in front of the camera, being on the radio, speaking? What What do you think it was? Let's not talk about passion. I don't reserve passion for this stuff. This is nonsense. This is work.
1: Passion is for life. You know, I think mm. it's... Uh, it's, um, you know, it's it's a bit of a calling. It's fun to talk about things that really freak other people out. It's, um, I was, it, I was my first job on Wall Street. I was a trader on the floor of the Commodities Exchange. I was an options trader. So I traded gold, silver, and copper options on the floor. And that was kind of fun. It's like, it's like being through a, um, a bit of a war slash fraternity party slash rugby scrum. So you sort of love and hate everybody around you. And, you know, what was interesting to me was that I, I realized pretty early on that people are totally emotional about money. And more to the point for me personally, making money was not actually that interesting. Um, it was nice to be able to make a few bucks, but it was, I think, not the right career path for me. And I don't really... I find more of the... the the hyper focus on money to be slightly depressing and more of how I can use money to give myself options much more interesting.
0: So I'm not going to use the word passion. I'll use the word mission here. Your kind of mission is taking these complex ideas and finance and economics and making them understandable to, to the average person. So my next question is, Are there is there a certain part of finance that's super complicated and that people think is complicated, but it's really not and that you love to kind of dispel and break down, whether it be through an analogy or something else?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think everything is not that complicated. I think that the industry, not like the medical, the medical world before it, likes to cloak itself in a jargon that makes the people who are in it feel really great about themselves. And it makes you feel like you have some secret power that is baloney. And uh, the reality is that that almost everything that touches our lives in terms of our finances is just not that complicated. And you know, even if you were to break down um, how to trade derivatives, which by the way, is unnecessary to break down because nobody actually needs to understand that for real life, except when a financial crisis hits. But to, you know, essentially, when I went through the financial crisis and people said, I don't understand how this happened. Then I said, it shouldn't have happened. So what you need to understand is that we had a terrible regulatory environment. We had a bunch of greedy people on Wall Street. Some of them I'm related to and friends with. And they almost blew up the entire financial system.
0: So a lot of uh, ambitious college students are listening to this podcast. What is something that college kids you think probably aren't keeping at the top of their mind when it comes to personal finance? And maybe when we launch in our our careers, what what should we be thinking about?
1: You know, I think everything is back to basics. You know, most people think that there are these complex ways to beat the market. I don't really think there are. I know that you've interviewed some people. Some of them are friends of mine from college who think they can beat the market. They rarely do. You know, the data is the data. I believe you have a picture of Warren Buffett behind you somewhere, I imagine, in all of this. But, but if, you're, if you listen to Warren Buffett and you say, hey, here's a man who is a amassed a fortune and who says to his, his heirs, when I die, buy an S&P 500 index fund, keep a few bucks in cash, and go to sleep at night. If that's his advice for his heirs, why are we doing anything else but that? Why do we keep trying to complicate our lives? So I would say that in terms of your personal finances, understanding how much you spend and how much is you know coming in and tracking your spending is important not thinking that you can beat the market not jumping on a the freight train of something that's moving on a momentum trade not thinking you can outguess where the top or the bottom of the market is all those things are really good but at the end of the day you know try to have some have some dignity about how you integrate money into your life. It cannot be the only thing you care about. It just can't be. That's just not a really smart priority. The priority is, you know, I want to live a life where I have meaning. I want to have a life where I can do things that make me feel good about myself and my family and what I contribute. And you know what? If it happens to be that you want to be an investment banker, that gets you going, great. But it cannot be the most most important thing in your life. It cannot be the thing that defines you, that you define you.
0: And you brought up Warren Buffett earlier. So I want to touch on a report that came out, I think, around two months into kind of the heat of the the pandemic. And that was that billionaires have gotten $400 billion richer while 40 million Americans have filed for unemployment. How do we contend with that uh, as people who watch and analyze the economy?
1: Well, I think that it is essentially a two-tiered recovery. I've been thinking about it as a K-shaped recovery. I wrote about this a while back in that um, we all went down together. It was horrible in March and April. It was just a devastating and pretty frightening time. And then as we started to see some time pass that there were two tracks, there was a leg up and there was a leg down. And the leg up was you got to keep your white collar job because you could work from home and you were able to make money and you had assets that were appreciating in the stock market, in the bond market. You had a house that was appreciating in value, and your fortunes were rising. And the leg down, the bottom part of the K is I'm a, a person who cannot do a job from home. I don't have savings. I don't own real estate. And it is just laying bare the inequality that is rife in this country. And, um, you know, preview. Ding, ding, I'm doing a piece on this for CBS Sunday Morning because the numbers are staggering. And to think that we're the richest country in the world and we have food insecurity rampant that is about to hit and and escalate from here. So I think that the pandemic is simply peeling back the stark reality of the inequalities that exist in this country.
0: And as someone who just, just talks about this inequality problem in finance, Do you think that one path forward or at least one thing that has to happen is for lower income individuals to start investing in the stock market instead of keeping their money in bank accounts where, you know, they're kind of taken advantage of with small little fees and make less than 2% returns? Is getting Americans to invest in the stock market a a solution in your eyes?
1: No, not at all, because these people don't have money to invest in the stock market. There's no money to invest. you, You know, that presumes that there's money. You know, there was a Fed survey from last year, which basically said that 40% of Americans couldn't cover a $400 emergency expense. So there's no money in the bank. There's no, there's no investing your way out of this. There is um, a, a real problem in that, you know, think about who the frontline workers are right now, right? Think about the people who are working in an Amazon warehouse, some of whom don't get health insurance, who are making 15 bucks an hour. I'm gonna tell that person to invest, What's that person investing? There's no, they're barely making ends meet. It's it is a absolute travesty to imagine that we have a system where we have gig workers or people who are who are basically called contractors who get no benefits while the companies that use them are seeing their fortunes rise. It's it you know I know I'm sounding like a super lefty liberal right now. So everyone's like, ah, I don't want to hear about this." You know what? You hear stories from real human beings and you get out of your bubble and you find out what's going on and uh, you know it is the there's a systemic problem that exists in this country whereby we have not done a good job of taking care of people. It was there was a time 30, 40, 50 years ago where the share of a corporate profit, where the share went sort of, I wouldn't say equally, but pretty pretty well divided between the owners of the capital and the workers. And that's just gone completely in the wrong direction, well, in my opinion, the wrong direction. That has gone. Now the shareholders are simply the primary issue and all these people who are talking, you know, the Jamie Diamonds in the world who say, oh, I really care about people. They only, they care (laughs) about these people. It's such bullshit. Like they care about these people, but you know, just throwing a hundred million dollars into Detroit doesn't mean you care about these people, especially when you're lobbying against all the things
0: that could actually help those people. I wanted to, to, to ask you a question I asked Alicia, and this was back in, in May. And that is why, why do we, why are we seeing such a huge divide between reality and the stock market—it just—it's so—it's so askew.
1: Well, it's not. I mean, it's—it's—it's it's, it's a different reality, right? Uh, the stock market doesn't have emotions, and uh, I know it's their investment decisions are made by human beings, and even human beings create algorithms. So it's not just that that there is, you know, a machine is making a decision, but there are going to be winners from this. The the large companies are going to get larger, and the fangs are going to get bigger. And right now, what else are you going to do? You're running a big pension plan right? It is completely Tina investing. There is no alternative. Where are you going to put your money? You're going to say, oh, you know what? Um, I run the pension system for the state of Michigan. I think I'll plow all my money into gold and silver because it's been going up. No, you can't do that. But you've got to be in the game. And do I think that stocks seem a little bit overextended? Sure. But I don't try to pick the top and the bottom. And I'm a long-term investor. And People like Alicia, so if everyone's listening, Alicia is was one of my college friends, and it's how I, Michael wrote me into
0: this. And, uh, and now, now the chief investment strategist at BNY Mellon?
1: Yes. She used to work for my friend, and so um, I was happy to introduce her to BNY Mellon. So did she tell you that I was the I was the matchmaker in that relationship? She,
0: she, she didn't tell me that, that you were the matchmaker, but I think it's I, funny how she's talking about the markets in a totally different way than you do.
1: Oh, yeah. Because, you know, she buys the bullshit because it's part of what her. That's, yeah, it's, like, yeah. That's, that's it's, her it's great,
0: though. I mean, it's great. That's she gets say. to go up there and just talk about the market. I mean, it's it's, but it's, it's like navel gazing to me. It's
1: it's it's completely ridiculous because who cares? Who cares? Yeah. She was. She, she, she I think this. The, the, yeah, she she loves it. That's fantastic. I don't really care. I mean, it's great for me to, you know, that that I'm, I'd rather assets rise and fall because people get super scared and freaked out. But in March, when the shit was hitting the fan, every one of those strategists was like, sell everything. And no one predicted that it was going to go straight back up. And then everyone piled into the trade late. At the end of the day, if you look at all these people who are strategists and money managers, they don't beat the index funds against which they're measured. I mean, some of them do in the more esoteric asset classes, but come on. That's why it's navel gazing. So if you really want to look at the, you know, as a long-term investor, yes. Are there some people who will beat the market over the long-term? Yes. They are few and far between. And what's the point of even trying? It's an exhausting process and usually just full, filled with fees. And at the end of the day, if you can have a diversified portfolio of index funds or ETFs and do just fine and sleep at night, hmm, I think that probably for 99% of the universe, that's just fine.
0: The way I ran out my interviews... It's the big question. It's what's your piece of career advice to young people who are either going into remote learning in college or going into back into learning during this time or they're breaking out into their career in this this wild era? What's your piece of career advice?
1: My piece of career advice is be willing to take a sideways move to work for somebody who's going to really teach you something. And this is a very antithetical to the idea of climbing up a ladder, but sometimes the way up, you have to sidestep. So instead of thinking of climbing a ladder, think about rock climbing. I don't know if you've rock climbed at all, but one of the things that you're taught is sometimes you have to move to your left or your right to put yourself in a better position to scale higher. And that is something that is a lost art in our current labor force, which is people are unwilling to move sideways because they feel like, oh, if I don't move up, it doesn't mean anything. But if you can move sideways and go to a place and work for a person who's going to nurture you, mentor you, and help you get to the next level, that can be incredibly helpful. And you might find that you scale that mountain faster in the long run by taking that step to the left or to the right.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, that was Jill Schlesinger, one of the biggest names in business media and journalism, giving us her no BS views on personal finance and the markets. It was definitely a pleasure to have her and very, very inspirational to get to hear her career advice. Hope you guys have a killer rest of your week. We have another episode dropping on friday you don't want to miss it keep an eye out for it this is our future you are a futurist stay frosty guys